Tonight we're going we're gonna to talk about the cross, the cross of Christ. Amen? So open your Bibles this, more, uh, this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, those that are going to CIA, you can be dismissed at this time. Let's look at the text we've been looking at. Everyone say, I have faith, I have faith. in the power of God. In, power of God. in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul's addressing them. And uh, he's saying some very important things here. And we'll look at verses 1 through 5 um, of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. Amen. Is it 1 Corinthians 2 or is it 2 Corinthians chapter 2? For I determined not to know anything among you. Where am I? I'm in 2 Corinthians. Duh. Hello. McFly. 1 Corinthians 2. How can that be? I'm missing the whole book of 1 Corinthians. No, I got it. All right. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom. Not the wisdom of man, not the wisdom of this world, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him what? Him crucified. And he says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Notice the next verse in verse five. It says this, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but that your faith should be in the power of God. I want you to pay particular attention. He says, I didn't, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Christ was the apostle, apostle Paul's message. He's addressing the church at Corinth here, who is a very licentious church, a very carnal church, and yet very heady at the same time. But then when he addresses the church in Galatia, if you turn to Galatians chapter 5 verse 11, he is addressing a church that is filled with works and filled with legalism and filled with intellect and so much head knowledge. It's like Brenda said the other night, you know, if all of their brains were dynamite, it wouldn't be enough to, how does that go? Blow their nose, yeah. But you see, the apostle Paul is addressing a religious group of people. And in verse 11, he says, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Now, that's a little bit blind to us, so I want to read it from the Amplified. He says, But brethren, if I still preach circumcision, as some accuse me of doing as necessary to salvation... Why am I still suffering persecution? In that case, the cross has ceased to be a stumbling block and is meaningless and has been done away. The Living Bible says, Some people even say that I myself am preaching that circumcision and Jewish laws are necessary to the plan of salvation. And then he says, Well, if I preach that, I would would be persecuted no more. 
For that message doesn't offend anyone. The fact that I'm still being persecuted proves that I'm still preaching salvation through faith in the cross of, the, of Christ alone. Amen. Everyone say faith, faith. In, the cross of Christ. in the cross of Christ. Faith, faith. in the power of God. Now, I want to share with you a few things that different people have said concerning the cross. Uh, One person said this, Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves, on a large garbage heap, at a crossroad of politics, so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew and Latin, and in Greek. And the kind of place where cynics talked smut, and thieves cursed, and soldiers gambled. He was not crucified in a popular place. He was crucified in a dark place. He was crucified for the gamblers. He was crucified for those who mocked him. He was crucified for those that were living in sin. Amen? Let's continue on. There's some great things here tonight. Notice with me, um, at the cross, it's God's love on display before the astonished eyes of both earth and heaven. First, Calvary's cross is the place where God's unfathomable provision intersects with our deepest and most basic need. Put in another way, it is where the furious love of God Almighty encounters our broken and shattered lives. I'm glad that He came one day and died for me. I'm glad that He died on Calvary's cross for you. Our lives were without hope and our lives were shattered. We were broken, but He came To make us whole. He came to make us in the image and likeness of Almighty God. On Calvary's cross, there was what the scripture calls about, talks about the great exchanges. And we're going to talk about a few of those uh, tonight. Praise the Lord. Say it with me. Thank God for the cross. It is said that Martin Luther was observing a painting of the crucifixion of Christ. And he was so deeply moved that he said, my God, my God, for me, for me. Say it with me. My God, my God, for me, for me. Hallelujah. Let's talk about some of these exchanges that took place. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 It says, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. That we might be made or that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This first exchange was our sinfulness for his righteousness. Hallelujah. Sin always condemns people. Sin always causes people To be on the outside looking in. But righteousness takes you from the outside and brings you in. 
once we're outside the family of God, outside the covenant with God, but through the blood of Jesus, we have been made nigh by the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. No longer are we strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God. Hallelujah. No longer on the outside begging. No longer on the outside looking in. But now we are on the inside. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Now we are in the family of God. Now we are in Christ Jesus. Now we are in, hallelujah, the goodness of God. Glory to God. He took your sinfulness. He took my sinfulness. And in place of our sinfulness, He placed His righteousness on the inside of you. And there's nothing that you can do to earn this righteousness, this right standing with God. There's nothing that you could do other than believe and confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior that would take you from the outside in. It's not good works that bring you into the family of God. It's not your education that brings you into the family of God. It is not your money that brings you into the family of God. It is not your social status that brings you in the family of God. What brings you in the family of God is faith in the cross of Christ and faith in the very power of God. Woo! Come on, raise your hands and thank Him. No wonder they called it Good Friday. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I almost died on Good Friday when I was 17 years old. But the goodness of God kept me alive. I ran through a building at about 75, 80 miles an hour with three of my friends. But the goodness of God kept me alive on Good Friday. Hallelujah. And now this Good Friday is a real Good Friday for me because I know I serve a good God and I've got this good God on the inside of me. He was on the outside at that time, but he was still looking after me. And mark it down. You might have family members. You may have people that are on the outside. But if you're a praying mama, if you're a praying daddy, if you're a praying grandma, glory to God, he will cover them with angels. He will protect them by the very power of God. Come on, somebody shout. Woo! Hallelujah. I'm in with the in crowd. (laughs) Amen. The in Christ crowd. Isn't it awesome? We're made up of so many different types of people and kinds of people. But we're just one race in Christ. Say with me, I am this night a new creation in Christ Jesus. The devil has no right in you. He has no foothold in your life. If you'll just keep that door closed. Righteousness is a gift. For by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through Jesus Christ. Receive the abundance of grace. Receive the gift of righteousness. Receive from Him tonight. Get rid of condemnation talk. Get rid of unworthy thinking. 
and just come to the cross tonight and look at the Savior and say, Lord, thank you for the gift of righteousness. Hallelujah! Billy Graham said on the cross he was made sin. He was God forsaken because he knew no sin. There's a value beyond comprehension in the penalty that he bore. A penalty that he did not need for himself. How it was accomplished in the depth of darkness, no one will ever know. But I know one thing, Billy says. He bore my sins in his own body on the tree. He hung where I should have hung. The pains of hell that were my portion were heaped on him. And I'm able to go to heaven and merit that which is not my own, but by his every right. Hallelujah. Think about it. Peter said this. He said, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, on the tree, that we being dead to sins might live unto righteousness and by his wounds we have been healed. Now another thing that happened to you, another thing that happened to me because of the cross of Christ, he took our shame and he gave us his glory. Say this with me. He took my shame and he gave me his glory. Hebrews says it like this, that we're to look to Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the what? The shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so when Jesus looked ahead to the cross, he didn't see only pain. He saw unspeakable shame. He saw shame. That is why there was such a battle going on in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, he was so pressed, if you will, that his very sweat was turned into blood. You see, sometimes before your greatest triumph and your greatest victory and your greatest breakthrough, Satan will fight you the hardest. And a lot of people misinterpret some of the battles that they're going through as, well, I must be doing something wrong or, you know, it could be you're just doing something right. And it could be you're just on the verge. Come on. You're on the verge of the greatest days in heaven on earth you've ever seen. You're on the verge of a breakthrough. You're on the two yard line. Don't quit now. Amen. So the enemy was really on his case, but thank God, on bended, sea, on bended knee, he said, not my will, but your will be done. Aren't you glad he did? Yes. Now, a definition of shame would be this. A condition of humiliating disgrace or disrepute. Shame also means regret and remorse. Regret and remorse. But Jesus bore that shame. So here's the good news. I don't have to live in regret anymore. I don't have to live, and you don't have to live in shame anymore. He bore that regret. He bore that shame. And so we're invited to come to Calvary, and we're invited to leave our shame there. Once you look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14, this will cause you to shout right here. And if you don't shout, it'll get you spirit-fed anyhow. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 15, 
Let's read it together. It says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ... Stop right there and say, Thank God for the blood. Say it with me, the blood, the blood, the blood. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. There, there's a Holy Ghost rapper. His name is Minister. He's a good guy. And he does a rap called The Blood, The Blood, The Blood. He travels with Mark Hankins. It's really good. But how much more shall the blood... Everyone say the blood. blood. The blood, the blood, the blood. How much more shall the blood of Christ, the anointed one, and his anointing... That was anointed blood. It had to be anointed to take care of your sin and my sin. <laughs> Amen. Had to be something supernatural about that blood. Because that, that was just regular human blood. We'd be in the same mess we were in. But thank God he took us out of the mess and he put his spirit in us. Now you and I have got a message. Amen. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Let's read the rest together. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve. To do what? To serve yourself? To make a, make a name known for yourself? To build up your own little kingdom so that everyone can tell what a hot shot you are? No, it's about Him. And this blood will purge your conscience. And buddy, friend, buddy, and friend, when, when your conscience has been purged, you ought to be just so on fire to serve God. He didn't purge a bunch of Christians' consciences so that they could stay home on Wednesday night and watch television. He didn't purge believers' consciences so that they could... You know, just live half for God and half in the world and ride the fence their whole life. Well, I'm meddling now, but it's good anyway. Look at your neighbor and say, it's good anyway. Say, help the pastor, Jesus. Help the pastor. He bore your shame. And then he came along and he took your brokenness. And he put his healing into your life at the cross the place of the great exchange, we can lay down our brokenness for His wholeness. Look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Nothing missing and nothing broken. You know that includes broken lives? That also includes broken dreams. He took our brokenness we could say it like this. He took what he gave us to do, and we through our own wrongdoing and foolishness broke it. But he can restore that, and he can put it back together again. Because the gifts and the callings of God, they're not without repentance. I want you to know this. Once God has a mind for you to do something, he don't change his mind. Amen? So... In verse 13, let's read this one together. Let's go. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, 
For it is written. Mm, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Restoration of broken relationships. Now, there are some relationships that are not supposed to be restored to the degree where, you know, friendship becomes real close once again. But God can take the hurt out of that broken relationship and heal you from it and make you whole again. He can do that. And uh, somehow or another, I believe this, that this wholeness in the area of your relationships can cause you to be ready for a new season and an even better and greater relationship. I mean, you know, you can, you can forgive a friend, you can forgive a person for what they've done wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to run with them. Right? I mean, you, you can forgive a person that's abused you, right? But it's April Fool's Day, and you'd be a fool to go back to that person until that person has got some serious help or serious deliverance. Amen. But I believe this, that God can put you back together. And forgiveness is a big key in you being whole. Amen? Because if we hold on to the wrongs, and if we hold ought against a brother or a sister, you know, we're doing ourselves more harm than we are doing them. Because here's what happens sometimes in relationships. If relationships are not... Uh, if there's not forgiveness, if there's not an end to that and a, a resolution in your heart, I forgive that person no matter what, by the grace of God, I'm not going back into that land of unforgiveness and I'm not going to open that door to bitterness again in my life. John Maxwell says this, George, remember this, you know, we don't have to get bitter, we can get better. So what does it mean to get better it means to let go of bitter. Now here's what bitterness will do. Bitterness will kill you. In Hebrews it talks about that a root of bitterness, if it's not dealt with properly by the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, if it's not dealt with properly, for, uh, bitterness can become a root in a person's life. And if it's not uprooted Scripture says that it can grow and cause defilement in a person's life. So I don't want to be bitter. How about you? Now, perhaps you've got something to be bitter about. It's your right to be bitter. But it's a greater blessing to be better. You can be unforgiving, but, oh, man, you're a whole lot better off if you'll just be a loving person. Say, man, I'm walking in the love of God. I'm walking in the life of God. So this brokenness is not just physical. This brokenness can be mental. Amen? I've seen people uh, very broken in their emotions. And very hurting and, and very, very down and very depressed to the point of being suicidal. 
I've seen that. And I have nothing but love and nothing but compassion for that. Those people don't need us to be pointing the faith finger at them and telling them that they shouldn't be like that when they can just barely get up in the morning and get off the couch. You know what those people need? Those people need the love of God. Those, need, those people need intercession. Those people need prayer. Come on, somebody. But I've seen people that have been broken in their emotions, and I've seen God put them back together again. Oh, man, it's a beautiful thing. It's an awesome thing to see a person's dreams being restored. It's an awesome thing to see a person smile again. Why don't you try that one on for size? Smile real big here tonight. Amen. But even in the emotional area, he has healing. The healing power of God. Faith in the power of God. I can remember Dr. Cho saying something many years ago. Brenda and I went to Seoul, Korea in 1987. This is when we had pastored for five years here. We went to his church, Growth International. And, and I can remember reading some of his books. I don't know exactly where I heard it. But he said that Jesus Christ is the same. Everyone the same. say the same. same. He's the same yesterday, yesterday. and today yesterday. and forever. And he said something very, very, very enlightening. He said that Jesus can go into your yesterdays. And he can take that which is broken and he can make it whole again. That's something to be happy about. And that will bring encouragement into people's lives. And then physically, he took your sicknesses. He took your disease. Himself took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. And what he took, guess what? We don't have to take. And what he bore, we don't have to bear. Amen? And then let's go on. Jesus Christ, through the cross of Calvary, he took our rejection and he put into our lives his approval. I like how Keith Hershey says, we're pre-approved. Hallelujah. Our alienation from God was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, I want you to look at that real quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He says, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him. Who's called you out of what? He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who were once not a people, but now are the people of God. Who at one time had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained the mercy of God. You're a chosen people. And God says that you and I, I are completely accepted. Paul, addressing the church at Ephesus, said this, that he has made us accepted in the Beloved. You know, a lot of people spend their whole lives trying to earn acceptance. They, they get involved in trying to please people, and, and, you know, and if they don't please them, they feel like that they won't be accepted because they, they've had in their lives a root of rejection. 
People do a lot of stupid things to earn acceptance. But I like this. That God chose you before he chose everything. I love this where he says, According as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And so we're a special people. We're a holy nation. We're created in his image and in his likeness. I said last Sunday, for those of you who were in the second service, where it says that he has made us kings and priests unto God. And in the previous verse says, he washed us with his own blood unto him that loved us. And the word love there means valued us. He values you and he values me. And not only that, but he made us in his image and in his likeness. And he caused us to have a life of meaning. A life of meaning. Your life means something. Your life means something to him. Your life means something to the church. And your life means something to the body of Christ. You have a supply and something on the inside of you to give and to offer the body of Christ. And I think that that is a message that needs to be stirred in all of our hearts. Because, folks, there's a lot to do before we get out of here. You know, I never look at the rapture of the church or the second coming of Christ. Whatever your end time doctrine is to me, to me it doesn't matter. I'm a pan-theologist. And what does that mean? I believe that everything's going to pan out. Amen? So I'm not, I'm not going to... I'm not going to get out of sorts with somebody that doesn't believe exactly the same way that I do. Sometimes I wonder what I really believe about that. Dad Hagen says, I don't always agree with myself. I was having lunch with a guy yesterday, you know, and, and I don't judge people. I love people. Amen? And I think that a major key that I've learned and adopted to live my life by is just be led by the Spirit. Well, why don't you have so-and-so come preach in your church? Nothing wrong with so-and-so, but I'm not led to have them. Right? I mean, why does there have to be something wrong with a person if I'm not going to have them in the church? It might just be that I don't have a leading and sense the leading of the Lord in that area. Amen. And so I, I said to this guy yesterday, and, you know, he was talking and kind of questioning you know, he's kind of a, from a different camp and stuff and kind of questioning certain people. I wouldn't enter into that. I don't like talking about people. I don't like that. And, uh, and, and, so, and so I said, well, I said, you know, there's just myriads of people I wouldn't have preaching my church. And I said, it gets down to being led by the Spirit. Are you better than them? Absolutely not. And I looked at him and I said, you know, sometimes... I almost feel like not having me preach in my church. <laughs> you, you be in the ministry for 30-some years, you'll, you'll find out what that means. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say with me, God's good all the time. Glory. I don't know how we got off on that, but I, you know, it may help somebody. I don't know. It didn't hurt so we're accepted where? 
in the beloved. That means we're valuable. That means we're priceless to him. Now, one of the things you've got to watch out for is once you start realizing who you are and what you have and what you can do because of the cross of Christ and because of the full redemption and the price being paid, once you get that, don't forget that it's because of Him. Come on now. I don't think that registered on some of you. Don't forget that it's all because of Him. You are valuable. You are priceless in Him. And so then we, we need to carry ourselves in humility. Is that right? Carry yourself in humility. Because you know who you are in Christ, and because you know where that all comes from as the source of who you are in Christ, then you walk through this life as a barefoot priest. You walk through this life humbly before God. Amen? And listen, there's something about being humble in Him. If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, guess what He's going to do? He's going to exalt you in due time. Amen? And so it's, it's very, very important that we have a kingdom mindset, a cross mindset, a resurrection mindset, and have a high opinion of Him in me. See, the Bible warns us about not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man, the measure of faith. You know what narcissism is, don't you? That is something that Christians need to watch out for. Having a very extreme high opinion of themselves and going out beyond the boundaries of the calling of God that he has for them. Amen? And it can kind of get into grandiose thinking and opens up a door to all sorts of stuff. But say it with me, in Christ, I'm valuable and I'm precious. So value then depends on who owns it, right? At auctions, for example, things owned by celebrities cost more. A car owned by Elvis would be more worth more than my 2000 Cadillac. Basketball shoes worn by LeBron James are worth much more than basketball shoes worn by Tony. A bed used by Abraham Lincoln is worth more than your bed at home. Why? Because the owner, he adds value to common things. Who do you belong to? Deuteronomy says, you're a people holy to the Lord your God, and you are his treasured possessions. Amen? Bought with a price. Bought with a price. And then also, value depends on what someone is willing to pay for it. 
How much is your house worth? Well, your house is really worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it. Right? I mean, your house might be worth $50,000, but if someone's willing to pay you a million, will you take it? <laughs> Amen? I would too. I would too. And that's the way the market goes sometimes, not that extreme. But they can get several offers on one house and just go way, way up. Amen. Tonight, we're going to open our hearts up and we're going to receive communion. We're going to remember what he has done for us. We could preach much, much longer and much, much more, but that's enough for tonight. If you would bring the elements, guys, that would be great. Thank you, Lord.